0: Well, we're going to continue our study in five ways to wreck your life this morning. And I'm going to tell you a little story about, uh, Kim's and my experience when we went to replace one of our family cars. And this happened about a year and a half ago. Um, one of the things you'll, you'll learn about us is we're pretty process oriented when we go to make a major purchase. Uh, so process-oriented that sometimes it drives my, well, I should say, maybe not so much we, maybe I'm a little bit more process-oriented than Kim is, but it drives her a little bit nuts in that process. Uh, for instance, we started the search for this car, and it actually took us eight months to find it. Now, I know that's so contrary to the way most people buy cars in America, we we get a whim. We saw a car. We're going to go buy the thing. This weekend, and if we can get them to put the financing together, it's done. That isn't the way we went about it. So we start this process, and and we were pretty particular. You know, like you folks had have driven around, and you've seen cars, and you say, oh, I like that car. I think I think the next time we buy a car, maybe we should check that car out. Well, Kim and I did the same thing. And uh, we landed on the type of car that we thought would be a good family car for us to buy. And would we would own that car for many years. And uh, so we began to look for that car. And in the process of looking for that car, there were some things that we further defined about what we wanted in that car. There were two primary colors that we wanted. One was our first primary color was pearlized white. I don't know if you've ever seen that color. I think it's beautiful. And the one that was, I wouldn't even call it second. It was kind of right there, but not not the top one if we could have found the right car, was this crimson red metallic. And so we decided that's what the car's, that color is. We've got to find one of the two colors of that car. And then we started to go through the options list. And... On on the type of a car that we were looking for, it's incredible the number of options that you can get. Mind you, this wasn't a new car. It was a used car. The options were incredible. Um, and so we had decided, because we're Americans, that we wanted not only heated seats in it, we wanted air-conditioned seats in it. So we had to have those. And then on this specific car... They have this feature in the rear windows in the rear glass of the car that when you're driving in sun, you push a button and these shades come up so that your kids in the back don't have to have those tacky little stick-up things, you know, that you pull up so that they can not have the sun in their eyes. Well, it had those sorts of features, too. Well, that would have been nice to have, but we couldn't find that one. So I would look and I'd travel around, and in my business, i go different places, and I looked at a car in Florida. It wasn't what I wanted. I looked at some in Chicago, not what we wanted. Kept on looking, kept on looking, and all of a sudden, on eBay, I see this car come up. It's crimson red metallic, and I start look saddle tan interior. I start looking down through all the options. It's got every option on it except for the shades that roll up with the little push button. We struggled over that, I'll be honest with you, you know. Could we make it without the power shades in the back of the car? I didn't know if we could do it. but So I did some. It was down in Dallas, Texas. I called a friend. I said, will you go drive this car for me? Let me know what you think it is, if it's a good deal for us, what it was. Low mileage, 2004. Well, we bought the car. I had to be in Dallas. I picked the car up, drove it back home. It was fine. Our seven months of research, our seven months of due diligence had netted us the perfect automobile for our family. I drove all the way back from Dallas. I was about the most refreshed I've ever been on a long road trip after riding with cooled seats. It was incredible. I There was no sweat running down my back. I was just comfortable. I I couldn't believe it. And so we got home and we're having a fine time thinking this is just awesome. We we had also part of our process is we believe that God really does intend to bless his people. I, I think that's just core to what he's about. He loves us. He wants to bless us. Now, Before you think I'm going to start preaching about prosperity gospel this morning, that's not what I'm talking about. I believe God truly loves us. And in the course of our lives, even when it comes down to buying a car, there are opportunities for Him to demonstrate His hand in our behalf and bless us. And so we were rejoicing and enjoying this thing, and we'd had it about three days. And uh, I had to run down to Fishers, and I pulled up to the light at Allisonville Road in 116th, and I stopped, and I'm, it was a beautiful day. And I looked over next to me. Anybody want to guess what was stopped next to me? No. It was pearlized white, and it was two years newer. And for a couple minutes, I became very dissatisfied with what I had. And I looked over at that thing and I thought, I shouldn't have bought this car. I, sh- I should have waited. I should have bought that car. That's what I want. And I actually found myself, my attitude within a moment changed about something that Kim and I had prayed about, been very particular about. Um, we're kind of Ramsey fans, so we had saved up some money so that we didn't have to have a car payment we paid cash for it god had blessed us with this car and here i am sitting next to the white one disappointed with what i have it's it's so natural for us isn't it it's so natural for us to look out there and see something else that would make us unhappy find us disappointed you know how many of you would agree with this statement? Money and things cannot buy you happiness. Think about it. Put your hands up real quick. Money and things can't buy you happiness. Okay, everybody just about agrees with that. Some of you, I think it's not so much that you don't agree. You're just not awake yet. This is the first service. But um, most of us do. We agree that that's not it. Uh, Paul says in First Timothy chapter 6, He said, godliness with contentment is great gain. Absolutely. Godliness with contentment is great gain. In verse 7, he says, for we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of it with us. Now, I can't speak specifically or empirically about my birth, but I have witnessed the births of my two sons. My wife did look like In both pregnancies, not only was there a child in there, but perhaps there were suitcases as well. And in talking with her during the latter parts of that pregnancy, she would have probably admitted it was more than suitcases, perhaps the Cadillac too. But when they came out, you know what, sure as shooting, it was just the boy. There was no suitcase that came after him. There was no deed to any property. It was just the boy. So I'm pretty certain that that was probably my birth and yours as well. We didn't bring anything into this world. And Paul says, when we leave the world, we don't take anything with us. I have officiated at enough funerals, and I'm sure you folks have been at funerals, and you've all heard the statement before, you don't find a U-Haul following a hearse. We don't take anything with us. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Uh, a quick review of you this morning finds you all clothed. Thank you. And I suspect that this morning you probably ate before you came and probably you will eat two or three more times before you leave today. Your concern is not so much about whether you will eat, but the great conundrum is which restaurant what you will order off the menu, and what you'll have for the next meal after that one. We don't have a problem with food or clothing. And according to the Scripture, it says we should be content with that. You know, the reality is most people are not content with that. Not most people. Most Christ followers are not even content with that. They're not content with the fact that their basic needs are met. Ma- let me ask you another question and be honest with me. This is a very important question. How many of you would say that if you had a little bit more money, your life would be better? Think about it this way. Think about what you make on an annual basis from an income, household income perspective. If you had a little bit more income, would your life be better? Put your hands up if you would agree that a little bit more money would make life a little bit better. Some of you are a little hesitant on that. I expected everybody to say, well, yeah, pick me. I'll take a little bit more of that. Um, There's a little bit of a dichotomy there because just a moment ago I asked you, will money and things make you happy? And you said no. No. And I just asked you if a little bit more money would make your life better. And you said yes. And isn't that the way we think about that so many times internally? Now, we're not going to go and tell somebody, you know, I'm humble and no, I don't need any more income and I won't take a raise and all those kind of things. But inside we're saying, yeah, baby, I'll take the money. You can increase my income. It'll make my life better. It's a very natural thing. Intellectually, we say one thing, but with our lives and in the inside of our reality and the way we think about life, we live a different way. It's quite something different entirely. Gallup took a poll. They polled individuals who made $30,000 or less and asked them what they thought would be a satisfactory level of income In order to live on and they could be happy well those under thirty thousand dollars in annual income came up with the number seventy four thousand they estimated it was seventy four thousand dollars now those of you that are making under thirty thousand if your salary doubled and a half again tomorrow you'd say yeah i'd I'd be pretty happy i can make it that's good for me well then they took a poll and they asked people making fifty thousand dollars how much would they need to make to feel better about life, and to be happier. They said it was $100,000. And you guys are thinking, yeah, give me $100,000 a year. I can be really happy. Any of you turn that down? Any of you walk away from that right now? I don't think so. We'd all all accept that. What do you think it's going to take to make you happy might be a better question. The polls talk about income. But what is it going to take to make you happy? And I suspect if we're honest, we'd probably say just a little bit more. I need just a little bit more. Let's take a quick run back to the Garden of Eden. And I know for those of you that are committed Christ followers, ah, the Garden of Eden, you know all about it. You've heard the story, the fall of man, temptation, all of those sorts of things. But if we could think about the Garden of Eden, and if we could have our minds and our spirits illuminated to the fact that at that moment... Everything was perfect. There was no sin. There was no need for anything else. And yet, Satan came in and said to Adam and Eve, there's one tree that you're not supposed to partake of. Just one tree. Everything else. True? Everything else. God said, enjoy it. But one thing do not touch. And what, what did Satan really challenge Adam and Eve with? Wouldn't you like just a little bit more? Isn't there just a little bit more that you'd like? Look at the temptation of Christ. Satan takes Christ up to a mountaintop. And he says, look out over all of this. Look as far as your eye can see. If you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. What was the challenge there? The very same thing. Isn't there just a little bit more that you need? The average person is very dissatisfied, but Christ, I'm glad Christ responded in the way he did. He did not bow down and worship the devil. He chose to say, no, I'm going to follow the Father's purposes. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Here's a picture of a very blessed farmer, verse number 16, Luke chapter 12, verse number 16, and Jesus told this parable, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And for some of us, we're saying to ourselves, well, one day when I get that promotion, then I can take it easy. One day when I lose that 20 or 40 or 60 pounds then i'll be happy and satisfied one day when i get the latest version or the latest application for my iphone and i can go and i can show people that i've got the latest version i'll be happy then i will have elevated myself some of you might be thinking someday when i get married then life will be perfect then I'll be happy. Then I can take it easy. But the following verses, as Christ concludes this story, He says, You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. So today I want to help you in your ultimate quest for wrecking your life. And I want to give you five simple steps to guarantee a life of dissatisfaction. Are you all ready? Five steps to guarantee yourself a life of dissatisfaction. Step number one. Become great at being ungrateful. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Don't, don't do that. Thankfulness, not good. Don't do that. For those of you who are believers, You've probably heard statements that are somewhat alluded to in this passage of Scripture. Like, you're going to be a joint heir with Christ. When He returns and establishes His kingdom, uh, you will reign and rule with Christ. You're going to have mansions in heaven. You will have no more pain. You will have no more separation. There will be no more loss. But what I want you to do is I want you to ignore all of that, all of those future promises, and I want you to focus only on now. What you can immediately get now. Don't think about what might be in the, in the future. Think about only what is present and only what you can have now. Eternity is not important. Now is important. What we can get today is the most important. Think about it. There's so many things you don't have, right? Think of all the things that you don't have right now. Now, some for some of us, it probably is not a hard exercise because oftentimes in our mind, we're always thinking about what we don't have and what we should have. But be sure that you ignore God's goodness in your life. Be sure not to think about your good health fact that your kids are doing well be sure to not even think about the fact that you ate this morning and again you're going to eat a couple times a day and that you don't have to worry about food don't be thankful that you have a car did you know that if you have a car you are in the top three percent of the world's population 97% 97% of the world's population does not own a car. Now, I didn't say the car that Kim and I bought, they don't own a car. You could probably be like the lepers in Luke number 19 chapter 19 that Jesus talked about. There were 10 of those that he spoke to and he healed How many of them came back to thank Him? Just one. So there's a good model for us. If you want to be dissatisfied, become great at being ungrateful. Step number two. Compare what you have to people who have more. I like... This version of this scripture in 2 Corinthians 10 12, it's from the Darby translation and probably most of you have never heard of that. It's, it's, uh, I like the way different translations say things. It says, for we dare not class or compare ourselves with some who can commend themselves. But these, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves with themselves, are not intelligent these folks may not be intelligent but they're intelligent but they're doing what they have to do aren't they they're finding out where they rank in this world they are comparing themselves to other people what's what's another word that we might use for not intelligent i heard somebody whisper it stupid they they may be stupid But they're doing what they have to do. We've got to find out who we can compare ourselves to see where we rank in this whole thing. So here's what I want you to do. We're at that time of year now where they're going to start having the parade of homes. And you can go out and tour some of these really extraordinary houses. I want you to walk through... I want you to take a list of all the things you found in there, and then I want you to go back to your shack. Here's another idea. Why don't you compare your husband to someone else's husband? Or maybe you should compare your wife to someone else's wife. Or ladies, maybe you should compare how your hair looks to somebody else's hair. Or some of you guys that don't have any hair. You're looking with great envy at those who do have hair and have more than you think they should have. For those of you that are into Facebook, count, you know, I, I get on it once a month, whether I need to or not. I, I, I didn't realize I could live without that, but apparently I can't. But you can, you can get the little number of how many friends you have on Facebook. And, it, you know, if you add somebody, it updates it. So compare how many friends you have on Facebook and then listen for somebody else that has more. Here's another idea. How many of you have a washer and dryer that you load the washer in the top and the dryer in the bottom? You poor people. You need to go out right away and buy one of those washers that sits up on the pedestal that you load from the front. You don't have to bend over. Jesus, help you if you've got one of those things that you got to put the stuff in the top. You just are not living yet. So find some friend that has one of those things and compare yourself to them. Ladies, compare your bodies to those of the women in the fashion magazines. You know those the pictures of those ladies that probably haven't eaten since 2002. It's a good example. Just keep comparing your situation to people who have more. I'll guarantee you, if you do that, you'll find somebody that's got more. And then you can be well on your way to being dissatisfied. Step number three. Pursue temporary stuff over eternal treasures. I want you to look at Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. And, you know, this this is optional. It's a dumb verse. It, it's probably more just a suggestion than anything. You don't have to give too much credence to it. But it was Jesus that said it, so I'll, I'll let you weigh that. Uh, watch out and be on your guard Against all kinds of greed. And that's not the translation you have up there. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I like the way that the message says it, though. It says, take care. Protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even if you have a lot. Come on. Everybody knows that your life is about your stuff and what you have in comparison to what somebody else has. That's what it's all about. You have to compare yourself. You have to, you have to look at that stuff that the other people have. It's not about relationships. It's not about things that last. It's not about eternity. It's about what we have now. It's about how much we have now. we need to focus on the temporary folks we need to focus on what we can get now not on eternal stuff i i love the ad agencies and the ad industry out there and they're a perfect study in this i think if you can grasp three fundamental principles you can be an ad executive more is better Bigger is better, and new is better. That's all you have to know. You look at the advertisements. Have any of you sat down and watched commercials? No, I'm, I, let, me, let me rephrase that. Have you, any of you sat down and studied what commercials are saying to you on TV and radio? We watch them all the time. I know that. You know, I've never, I've never seen an uh, overweight woman advertising swimsuits. I've never seen that. Um, I've never seen someone that walks out of a shack getting into a Porsche as an advertisement. It's not the way they do it. I I was thinking about uh, car commercials. I don't know if any of you are like me, but the, the guy on the radio that advertises cars I call him testosterone man or it sounds like a guy that's got his hand caught in a vice and he's trying to tell his wife that she needs to take the vice off of his hand. Have you ever seen that? Heard those radio commercials and you got to come now and buy the car and they go on because this is only going to last just for a few hours and then it won't be there. Strange thing is about a week later the same commercials on again. Any of you Some of you are probably old enough to remember the old Chrysler Cordoba. You remember what a Chrysler Cordoba was, any of you? And do you remember the commercials that they came out with about the Chrysler Cordoba? Who was the guy that was the voice behind the Chrysler Cordoba commercials that was telling you about the rich Corinthian leather? Does anyone remember that? Ricardo Montalban. And a, we should have picked up a clue from that because what show did Ricardo Montalban host on? Fantasy Island. I'm telling you right now, I owned a Chrysler Cordoba. It did not have the rich Corinthian leather. It was fine velour. But I owned one. It was fantasy land. And I don't care if you had rich Corinthian leather to sit on. It was still a Chrysler Cordoba. Last night, I was sitting down watching um, a sporting event, and now Lexus has this nice little white car. It's a, I think it's a two-seater. I didn't even catch the model on the thing. And they have this, this car set up in this sound booth, and they take a wine glass and set it in front of a speaker. Any of you seen that commercial? And... It's a, it's a pristine setting, and it's this guy that's just talking on about the splendor of owning this automobile. And, I mean, you listen to these guys talk, and you almost think you're subhuman if you don't have one of these. And the point, the culmination of this commercial is the thing revs up so loud, they've got this gl- wine glass sitting in front of the speaker, And the vibrations from this, the sound from this car are so great that eventually it shatters the wine glass. It tells you nothing about the car you're buying except that it can shatter a wine glass. And you know what? We're going to go buy them because the ad agency said that we're almost subhuman if we don't have one of those things. We've got to have it. So I want you to just recite with me, so as we move from this place this morning, we head out into this world, I want you to have the three primary phrases that you need to know in order to be dissatisfied in life. More is better, bigger is better, and new is better. Would you recite that with me, please? More is better, bigger is better, and new is better. You've got it. We're well on our way. We've been trained very well. I think we can all go with the confidence that we will continue to be dissatisfied in life, and especially the more commercials you watch on TV. Step number four. This is, this is really great. I love this one. Resent God for where you are in life. You want to hear a Christ follower cry out to God Psalm 43 three two. clear my name God stick up for me against these loveless immoral people get me out of here away from these lying degenerates I counted on you God why did you walk out on me why am I pacing the floor wringing my hands over these outrageous people that's the psalmist writing And declaring to God, where are you? I counted on you. I depended on you. And look where I am today. God, it's your fault. If you really say you're who you are, I wouldn't be where I am today. I mean, think about it. The plans I've had for my life. The things that I had all set up that should happen in the course of my existence. And here I find myself today having experienced one thing after another. Some of you, it might be I'm not married now. It's been a disastrous situation. Others of you, I might be married now and it's a mess the marriage I'm in. Some Christ followers might be saying, I've been giving faithful and yet I don't have what so-and-so has. You might look at your job situation and say, I'm qualified for every one of those promotional spots, and yet he got it. I didn't get it. Or I shouldn't be laid off. Or my family shouldn't be experiencing financial difficulties. We need to just keep going with that. Because if we want to master the art of dissatisfaction, blame it on God. Say, God, where are you? I love the way it says it. I counted on you, God. I put the chips down on you. Where are you now? Why did you walk out on me, God? Why is my situation the way it is? Has nothing to do, of course, and don't don't pause to think about this. It has nothing to do with personal responsibility or or God having a plan, or, or God being any wiser than we are. And don't even think about the possibilities that we live in a fallen world and the impacts are, of sin are seen all around us. No. It's God's fault. Resent Him. I, I would encourage you, as a matter of fact, if you go home and find this in the message, uh, clip that out. Okay? And you know, we're all, we're always about putting reminders in front of us. So clip that out. I counted on you, God, and you left me here. If you get that cut out, put that up on your refrigerator, it's a great example for your children, too. Inspirational moments for your children. Step number five. And this kind of tops it all off, I guess. Develop an attitude of entitlement. Let me tell you something. You deserve it. Right? You're good. You've worked hard. You've tried to keep your nose clean. And you deserve it. So develop that attitude of entitlement. Romans 6.23 says... The wages of sin is death. Well, the way I read that, it says you deserve death, and you've done wrong in the eyes of a holy God, and you don't actually deserve anything. But no, disregard that scripture, okay? Just set it aside. Don't Let's not pay much attention to that. Because you have had a rough life. You've worked hard. You have put in what it takes, and you deserve better just a little bit more when you go shopping ladies you deserve the purse the shoes and the dress do not be concerned if you do not have any money we have figured out how to help you with that acquisition it's plastic and it's about two by four And I'm sure most of us have an abundance of them, except for those that have gone through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University and have done plastectomies where you snip those babies up. But, ladies, you deserve it. You deserve it. The dress, the shoes, and the purse, no thought to anything else. You deserve it. Guys, you deserve that $120,000 boat or car, whichever one you'd prefer, And listen, it does not matter that you only make $25,000 a year. Again, we've got that figured out for you because you deserve it. This is beginning to sound like a credit card commercial, isn't it? You can have whatever you want. You know, they're always smiling and chipper. Why don't they let you see the people on the other end of the phone that call in that can't make their payments? But you deserve it, right? It's mine. I deserve it. I live in America. America. I have this inalienable right to have everything I want whenever I want it and immediately. A born consumer. He agrees. Don't worry about, don't worry about personal responsibility in this thing because somebody else will take care of it for you. The other thing is I, I want to go out to dinner every night and pay high prices for substandard food that's prepared poorly and in a crowded restaurant. I want to do that every night. We've got that taken for, care of for you too because now restaurant chains are coming out with their own credit cards. So you can have that. You deserve it, don't we? Well, Don't we? We deserve it. We're Americans. We've been told we can have these things. Listen. It's a secret. Don't let anybody tell you that you don't deserve it. Don't let anybody tell you that. Because we deserve it. You're entitled to it. Now this is, this is kind of, Not kind of. It definitely is satirical and sarcastic in what I've said to you. But it's really sad. If you go back to the story that Jesus told about the ten lepers, there's a couple things you can pull out of that. When Jesus spoke to those lepers and healed them, they were both Samaritans and Jews. And the reason we know that is because when Jesus tells about the one leper that came back and thanked him, It was a Samaritan. It was not a Jew. And Jesus points that out. And so the analogy, the sad part of this analogy is that what Jesus is in essence saying here is that 90% of the people who should have known about what Christ was offering, about the liberty that we can have within Him, about the freedom that we can enjoy, about the peace and contentment that we can have, through godliness being great gain. They had completely missed it. Nine of them never said thank you. I wondered why that was. I wondered if maybe in some of their minds what Jesus did for them in healing their leprosy, I mean, I think all of us would probably pretty readily admit That if we had leprosy and we were healed, I think we'd be pretty happy about that. Because at that point in time, you were an outcast. Jesus said, go to the priest, show them, show the priest that you've been clean, that you're healed, and then you can interact with society again. I would have thought that would have been sufficient to elicit a thank you. But perhaps they came with conditions upon Jesus' healing. I'll I'll accept your healing if you do it this way or if you take care of that or if I have this or if this takes place in my life. Some of them may have had that attitude. Others, they may have never really ever in their lives seen somebody who lived with an attitude of thanksgiving and gratitude. Parents, I can't tell you how influential your attitudes are on your children. If we walk around dissatisfied, grumbling, complaining, talking about what so-and-so has, never being thankful, can I tell you something? I can pretty much guarantee that our kids are going to be the same way. And Jesus' point is not to the unchurched so much, in fact, really, it's not to the unchurched. He's talking to people who were following him. And he said, one person, 10% of the people or the constituents or those who, who were agreeing to this way of life, 10% of them got it. 90% of them missed it. That's That's sad. The whole key to this message, the whole key to this series is not about what we tell someone we believe, but it's how we actually live our lives. It's the thoughts that possess our heads and our minds and our thought processes. It's the words that come out of our mouths. It's the actions that we demonstrate our beliefs with. I want to take one final look at a scripture in Philippians chapter 3. And this is Paul. He's writing from prison. He's an older gentleman at this point in his life. And he has a moment to ponder and look back and kind of survey his life. And here's what he, here's what he writes as he's looking at his life. He says, whatever was for my profit, and I suppose we could add in there all the things I thought mattered, all that I wanted, all of the stuff that I thought was important, whatever benefited me, he says, whatever was for my profit, I now consider it loss for the sake of Christ. What is more? Or... More importantly, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. We don't sit today in a prison like Paul did. We, had not, we have not encountered what Paul has encountered. But at a very sober point in his life as he reflects, he said everything. All the stuff, all the things that this world would tell us are important. He said, I'll give it all up. You read on and he said, I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ. The word rubbish, the Greek word is skabala. The closest translation of that word is dung. Now, that's a very undignified word for us to use. But Paul's saying everything. And if I, can, if I can bring it into our world today, the house that we think we have to have to be satisfied, the position we have to have at work to think that we can be satisfied and be content, the car that we drive, the places we go, the people we know, Paul says, they are like absolute refuse to me. Because what's more important is, I know Christ. He calls it the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Do you know what that tells me? Paul was more than just a head knowledge guy. He didn't make a mental assent to a religious formula that he thought sounded good one day. I mean, you can look at his life and tell that it was a lot more than something up here. It was something that his daily existence demonstrated a true contentment. And he was, this is not a completed statement here when he said the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. It's not a completed act. It's something that God, by His Spirit, through His Word, as we commit ourselves to Him, continues to pull back the veil of our human sight, that in our spirits we begin to understand the greatness of our God. How incomparable, Paul's saying to us, how incomparable everything that we in this world establish at a, as a priority is to knowing Jesus Christ and to the continual knowing of Him and opening ourselves to have His revelation by His Spirit to our spirit of who our great God is. As we conclude this morning, I want to pray for us, but I I recognize there's a possibility that there's a couple... Different groups of people here this morning. Some of us could be like the lepers. Some of us sit here and as we hear Christ's words, there is an overflowing... Excuse me, the leper. I said lepers. But like the leper that returned to Christ. There's this overwhelming sense that as you hear the words of Christ and as you, you hear me talk about this, you almost cringe that I would be so cavalier and sarcastic about this this truth of God's worth that we can have contentment and great joy and in your heart you just are resounding with that and it echoes in your mind and your spirit and you're saying, Yes, yes, I get that. I want to walk with thanksgiving and gratitude and worship to our awesome God. But then there could be that nine leper group too that not and again not intentionally. It's not something that you or I would set out to do to become ungrateful. But over the course of time, maybe we've allowed our minds to go in one direction or another. We've not been as focused on Christ's teachings. We've not meditated on the truth of His Word. We've more absorbed ourselves with the voices of this world. And so this morning, it's, it's a bit more of a convicting message, one that requires some repentance and then I recognize that there could be people here today that have never served Christ. They've never said yes to Christ. And you've you've chased a lot of things. You've had the promotions. You've had the disappointments of life. You get back on the horse. You get back on the cycle again. And you're going back through it again. And in the midst of all of that, you say to yourself, is, is there more than this? Is there more than the stuff and the possessions and the ranking and the comparisons? Is there more than that? And in your heart, you're saying, I want that. I want that more. I want just a little bit more, but I don't want just a little bit more of the stuff of this world. I want the more that comes in and fulfills my life. As Paul said, I can be content with much or with little. It's not about the stuff of the world. It's about the residing presence of the King of Glory that we spoke, we sang about this morning. The one who has overcome all these. And some of you this morning may want that. You, you want the more, but it's not more stuff. You want Jesus. The more and the satisfaction and contentment that He brings. And I'd ask you if you would to bow your heads with me this morning. And I want to pray, pray with you before the band comes up. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. It is a sharp, two-edged sword that does divide precisely. And as Your Holy Spirit takes Your Word and in the hearing of that Word, we begin to evaluate our lives we find ourselves at points where we will rejoice because we have been given much and we are abundantly blessed and we recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And we will, it is our intent, it is the passion of our lives to live as rejoicing, thankful, grateful people. So our hearts are just quickened with that this morning. We say, yes, Lord, that's where I'm going. I want that. I want my kids to be that way. There's others of us, Father, that we love You, but we've gotten sidetracked in this whole thing. And so today, we're making a commitment, Father, that You would, by Your Spirit, continue to draw our attention to the truth of Your Word. That we would be satisfied with what You have promised for us. And we will live in the contentment of knowing that surpassing greatness. We will allow Your Holy Spirit to pull back the blinders of our eyes so that in our spirit we can see how great is our God. And we will live contented in the knowledge of that. And then for those that might be here that have never known just a little bit more that no stuff on this earth could ever supply. Today, They have that privilege. They have that opportunity to say yes to Jesus Christ and to begin a life anew with You and find Your peace and Your contentment that surpasses all of the stuff. And as they're here and as they cry out to You, Father, we know that You're there, that You hear that prayer. Father, we thank You this morning. We ask Your blessing upon these people and upon their lives as they continue to follow You. In Christ's name, Amen.